what a wonderful song that last song was, expressing that day when we will be with the assembly in heaven, with all the saints from every age together. And I just want to say, that's why we've been supporting you as a church, because we're one people, the people of God, right? And really, really excited, Redeeming Grace, for you getting your new senior pastor here. And it's been a privilege to be with you. I was with you the week before Easter this year. It's, I enjoyed that time, and I'm, I'm looking forward to our time today in the Word. If you'd open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, actually, it's going to be, it should be on the screen with me. Um, and I'd like us, actually, if you wouldn't mind, if, and I know you just sat down, if you could please stand and let's read the Word of God together. This is one of those texts that really calls for interaction. So let's, let's read this together. I'll start with a question, and then let's read through the whole Scripture together. The question is, what shall we then say to these things together? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you for partnering in reading God's word. And, um, you know, we're starting today in Romans 8, and if you think about it, I'm just going to do a brief sort of get us there. In Romans 1, Paul talks about the power of God to salvation, and 2, he talks about the inadequacy of the law, and 3, he talks about the gospel. In chapter 4, he talks about Abraham's faith. Chapter 5, justification. Chapter 6, he talks about the victory of the gospel over sin. Chapter 7, he tells us, it's still a pretty big battle, isn't it? We're struggling against sin. But chapter 8, when we get to chapter 8, we get to what one pastor calls the Himalayas of the New Testament. Uh, the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, 1 through 17, tells us we're not condemned because Jesus did something the law could not do. He fulfilled the law and paid for our sins. And now we can live by the Spirit of God who's inside of us. And then from Romans 8 to 30, right till we get to our verse, he tells us even though we're not condemned, our unity with Christ brings us into a life of suffering. But our suffering is, is not worth being compared to the glory that's about to be revealed to us. And in it, he's making us like his son. And that's where we get to our verse this morning. And we, we arrive here with, if you will, a full picture of the Christian faith. And it's a lot to take in. Romans is a lot to take in, isn't it? I remember uh, as a new believer, I, I read the book of Romans, my first summer that I was a believer. I was a freshman at college. And I, I got back and um, 
my, the guy who was discipling me in, in, in the campus ministry was a part of it. He said, what did you do this summer? I said, I read the New Testament. He said, what did you think? I said, have you read Romans? He said, Paul, man, he's nuts, man. I just, I couldn't get my mind around it. You know what I'm saying? And uh, I think, you know, as you go through Romans, you see Paul asks a series of questions that are on the minds of his readers as he's instructing them about the gospel. And we come to one of those questions today. I think Paul's anticipating the questions and the fears that his readers are going to be having. And uh, questions like this, does God really love me? That suffering he was just talking about, not so sure about that, not so sure. When I suffer, am I going to be able to make it? My faith, that's when my faith is tested. And, and, and brothers and sisters this morning, I, I want to begin with the question, how can we know that Christianity is big enough for our lives? How can we be certain that it will see us through the challenges that are yet to come in our lives? Real and imagined. What about when you, you're, maybe you're here this morning and you're about to graduate from high school. Is God enough for you to, in the next season? What about when you lose your job? Is God going to be enough for you when you're facing unemployment? What about getting married or finding a spouse or when you're boyfriend or girlfriend breaks up with you and you thought they were the one? What about when your child is very sick or your spouse receives a terminal diagnosis? Is God going to be with us? Is the gospel sufficient to see us through these things? Will we know the love of Christ in all of these circumstances? Paul asks a series of questions to answer these questions this morning, but he's really giving us an answer to the questions with enemies, enemies within us and with enemies outside of us, with life's struggle, can you be confident in knowing the love of God throughout everything? We will see how Paul answers this question by asking two questions of our text. First, how can we be secure in our salvation? And second, how can we be secure in the love of Christ? Those are the two questions we're going to ask of our text. First, how can we be sure that we, God can be trusted to secure our salvation? Well, number one, this is the first point. Our salvation is secured by the work of Christ. Paul deals with our question in just a few short verses. Through a series of questions, he paints a complete picture of God's saving work in Christ Jesus. This morning, this is, in this text, you can be sure that God wants us to get the gospel. Do you want to change my battery or anything? Is it going in and out? We're good? Okay. If, if you Just stop me if you, if you can't hear me. Um, he wants us to get the gospel. He really does. When you're reading this section of scripture, just think about it. Paul wants you to get the gospel. The work of Christ is a sure foundation for our sal salvation. How does he get at this? He says, he asks a question. If God is for us, who can be against us? Isn't that an interesting way to kind of get at the question? He asks a question. If God is for us, who can be against us? If he had asked the question, who is against us, right, we could easily have, have taken care of that. We could have said, well, my sin is against me, my flesh, the world is against me, certainly, the world is tempting me, the devil certainly is an enemy, he's lying to me all the time. If he'd asked that question, but he doesn't, he, he, he gets at this question by saying, if God is for us, who can be against us? And then... He provides an answer in verse 32. He says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? 
This is an argument from the greater to the lesser, if you will. God did not spare his own son, but in the eternal plan of salvation, he gave up his one and only son. If he, think about this, the Trinity. I mean, it's a mystery, the Trinity. But I'll tell you one thing. In my Christian life now, I've been at it over 40 years. I've been, had the privilege of studying theology. And when you study the doctrine of God and the Trinity, it blows your mind. When you understand that he gave his eternally begotten son, the second person of the Trinity, to come to the earth, to take on flesh, and to suffer in our place. If you consider that ultimate gift, Paul then says, how will he not also give us graciously all things? And now this all things, it doesn't mean like you can ask for a Mercedes Benz. It doesn't mean you can just ask for big houses and things like that. That's not what he's getting at at all. He's talking about everything we need on our journey of faith. Everything you need on your journey of faith. If God has provided Christ Jesus, will he not graciously give you all things that you need on your journey of faith? This is consistent with what he said earlier in Romans 8 when he says he's given us the Spirit who teaches us to say, Abba, Father, who testifies to us that we are God's children. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit, to show you how much God the Father loves you. Isn't that amazing? That's part of the resources that he's giving to you. We can ask, and what an encouragement to pray, isn't it, when you know this? We can ask for whatever we need in our journey of faith. We can pray with confidence. Why? Because he's promised. He'll give us all things we need all the things that we need. You can ask with confidence to finish your spiritual life well. You can ask with confidence to marry well. You can ask with confidence to grow in holiness. You can ask with confidence to be a part of a great local church where you can be built up and in fellowship with brothers and sisters. Isn't that amazing when people, God joins us like they did this morning at church? God is in all. And he's given the most costly thing in creation to secure our salvation so we can, be have, we can have confidence that whatever we ask in our life in Christ, he'll give us. And then he goes on, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. He's speaking to our fears here. God wants to remind us that salvation is by grace from start to finish. The question is asked in the future tense. Notice that. He said, who shall bring, who will bring any charge against God's elect? He's pointing to the last day. Who shall bring a charge God's elect? In order to give us confidence for that day, Paul takes us back into eternity past. Isn't it interesting? Paul refers to God's adopted children here as God's elect. Now, I'm not going to preach on election this morning, but it's here in the text. It's right here, right? This, I didn't... I didn't put this in the Bible. <laughs> this is God's word. And the truth here is not to promote speculation or make us doubt or to have us get into all kinds of philosophical questions. But this verse teaches us that our experience of salvation is not based on our wisdom or our efforts to find God or our work. It began with God and his plan. Now, this is a mystery because our experience of salvation, right? Isn't it true? How did we, all of us, Someone preached the gospel to us, right? And we repented, and we believed, and we 
received the Holy Spirit, we became Christians, right? That's our experience. So that's how we experience our salvation. But election is a mystery. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, who was a, a preacher in London in the 19th century, spoke of the entrance of the Christian life as an archway that as we approach, we see the invitation. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And we can say that to anyone and I say that to everyone here. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, if you call on the name of the Lord and believe that he died for your sins and that you needed a savior, he can come and fill you with the Holy Spirit, make you new and give you power and faith and a new life to live for his glory. All are invited to come. This gospel offer is made to all creatures as Jesus told us to do. That's our experience. But after we come through the door of salvation and we look back at the door, Spurgeon said, he said this, we see the words chosen from before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1. After we come, it is important to realize that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. It is a gift. We get in by grace and we continue by grace. Isn't that really important to remember? It's not your works that save you, brothers and sisters. It's the of Christ. So when you're tempted to fear, God wants you to be certain that salvation begins with him. What is Ephesians uh, 2 verse 8 says, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. God has called you and we can praise him and trust him because we know that he who began this good work in us is going to bring it to a completion on the day of salvation. He'll see us through to the end. That day when he will, who will bring charges against God's elect? Uh, and to that question, he answers this. This is his answer. It is God who justifies. And the ESV says that. The New American Standard, God is the one who justifies. The, 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 the literal translation, God pronounces righteous. How does God pronounce Sinful men and women, righteous. How does he do that? Righteousness means, it literally means just you're, you're perfect. He, when he looks at you, he sees perfection, no disobedience, but perfect obedience. It's not just the absence of sin. It's the presence of the obedience of Christ when he sees you. How does he do that? How can we be absolutely certain that that's our experience when Satan comes and says, you did that again? Are you kidding me? You just prayed yesterday that you wouldn't do it again. And you did it again. You lose your temper with your child, your spouse. And you just, you're struggling and you're wrestling. And Satan's there. <laughs> you think you're a Christian, don't you? Well, the word of God says this. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Here it is, brothers and sisters. Here it is. Here's the gospel. Here it is. This is what God wants us to get this morning. He is going to condemn God's children in light of these facts. Christ Jesus, after living a sinless life, died a physical death on that cross. He was raised for our justification and now he is at the right hand of God interceding for us. 
His work is complete. Nothing needs to be added to it. You, can, I, you and I can never add anything to what Christ has done. And Jesus Christ now is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. God saves us through this work right here in this text. If we had to earn or preserve our place, we would have a reason to be afraid. But we don't live by our works, do we? By faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. So to your fears, when the devil comes and says, you're not enough, you stink, you're the worst, you say, you're right, I am. I'm not enough. But Christ Jesus is enough. And he has done enough to cover all of my sins. And I'm going to look to him. I'm going to trust in him. We fight fear and lies by reminding ourselves that he did not spare his own son. He has saved us by grace from start to finish. The work is completely finished so we can be secure in our standing before God. God's salvation is complete. So this leads to our final question in the text today, and that's our second point. Our salvation is secured by the work of Christ, but can be certain of his love. He may have saved me, but Paul's talking about here the suffering in the Christian life. How can we be secure in the love of God? Whatever I'm going to face, can God be trusted even for that? Well, that leads us to our second point, and that is the work of Christ guarantees the love of Christ forever. You know, I don't know, I don't know about you. I don't know where you're at in your Christian life. I've, I'm, I've been a Christian now over 40 years, and I've had different experiences of faith in my life, different times of struggling and, and working. But, you know, sometimes you're in school and you're just you're losing your way. You can't get devotions in, or you're in the middle of having small children. You've got a bunch of small kids in the house, and it's like if you can open a Bible, you just, you're, you're ready to worship. You know, maybe, maybe you, you're dealing with a spouse that's ill or a parent that's dying, or maybe you've just lost a parent. You know, there are different things that we face in the Christian life. And, um, you know, it's, it's one thing for Jesus to have completed the work. It's another thing for us to grab hold of that work, experience it, knowing that we're going to finish the race and cross the finish line and not be disqualified while we're in the midst of the race. Paul asked this question to help us understand how we can be confident. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he lists seven enemies in the form of a question. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And then he quotes Psalm 44. And I wish I had time to go into this this morning. I'm just going to read it. But it's a great study if you want to do a study on why Psalm 44 is, is here. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But look at that list of seven. Seven different troubles and enemies, real and painful things in our lives that squeeze us and bear down on us. These are the things that we can anticipate in real life. Remember earlier in chapter 8, Paul said we would be heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him. Remember that? <laughs> that's, not a, that's not probably on our memory, verse memory, verse uh, uh, that we carry around in our scripture memory packets. We don't like to remember that, but it's true. Provided we suffer with him, God wants us to be prepared for all that we're going to face as Christians. God, being a Christian is not just some like 
live a better way. Just trust God and everything's going to be okay. That's not what Christianity is about. No, it's Christianity is a vigorous and a, a rigorous faith that can stand up to everything in life. Our God is He's, he's an amazing God. He's, he's a global God. He's an eternal God. He's a universal God. He's the one who made the heavens and the earth. So when are we most likely to doubt his love? Isn't it when we're suffering? We're going into trial. Things aren't going well. You know, just a few verses earlier, it says creation groans. Right? Creation groans because of sin in the world. Sometimes we groan, don't we? Have you ever groaned under the suffering of life? If you have and you've made it through, you, you know how God meets you in it. But if you haven't, God wants you to be prepared. You very well may groan in the days ahead under the weight of suffering in this life. What is the first question we most often ask ourselves when we're in trouble? Isn't it, where is God? Does he love me? Doesn't he know what's going on? How can I trust him to be with me? This world is broken. Anti-Semitism, racism. There's suffering, mass shootings. There's war and famine and refugees. People around the world are starving this morning. Innocent people, people who, who haven't caused it themselves. And, and, and I'm, not into, I'm not here to talk about policy. I'm just saying the reality is people are suffering and we experience this. Sometimes we experience it without us from outside. Sometimes it's from within because we've fallen in sin and we suffer the consequences. But this list of seven things covers pretty much everything we might find in our battle, find in our, in our battle for faith. But, you know, here in Northern Virginia, let's be honest, the majority of us probably, and I say probably intentionally, are not going to face famine, nakedness, or sword. I say probably because we don't know the future. But this is not just written to Christians in Northern Virginia. It's written to Christians everywhere in the world for all time. And many, many Christians, brothers and sisters, have suffered. And if, if they can suffer in faith and know God in the midst of it, so can you if you do. And who knows what God has for us in the future? The answer can we trust God's love? Is yes. Because look at verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's an incredible verse there. Let's read that together. Just say it with me. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And how many things? All things. In all these things. This is a promise, brothers and sisters, that we can hold on to when fear assaults us, when things don't feel right or are not going right. This is a promise rooted in the character of God based on the promises of our covenant-keeping God that nothing is ever going to change God's attitude about you. It is certain. The steadfast love of the Lord toward those who trust in his son will remain. There's a word in this text that we don't use very often. And uh, if we don't get a hold of it, it's broader meaning. We may miss a key point here. The word is conqueror. You know, we don't, we don't talk about conquering. We think of, 
you know, Genghis Khan or Julius Caesar or Napoleon. We think of, we think of conquerors, and that, it usually has a picture of someone conquering enemies. Paul's using the term here. It is to emerge victorious in the face of challenges. It is to win. It's to be successful. It's to make. And brothers and sisters, listen to this. Listen to this sentence. We are not conquerors. We're not more than conquerors because we are conquerors. Not because of our power, but because we are connected to the conqueror. Do you see that in the text? It is through him who loved us and our connection to him and his work we know we will never be separated from the love of God. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. How? Through him who loved us. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? The one who suffered for us is with us in our sufferings. That's something no other worldview, no other religion can claim. That the eternal God who suffered for us is actually with us when we suffer. That's what makes, in my opinion, Christianity so amazing and so winsome and so desirable in an age of suffering. Because he lived and he died. He is presently interceding in heaven. Having sat down, he's poured out the Holy Spirit. So with the Spirit's help, interceding for us with groanings too deep for words, he's alive within us. And brothers and sisters, we don't have to fear through Christ, we can be more than conquerors through whatever we face in our lives. Now, I realize this doesn't mean, and I, I, I want to stop for a second here because I realize when I preach like this and preach the word like this, that there can be someone here saying, well, you don't know what it's like, what I'm going through right now. Maybe you're in a valley, struggling with depression. Maybe you're just having a season of difficulty in your life and just life's issues are just coming hard against you. And maybe you say, well, pastor, hey, you know, this is really good, but how do I get this when I'm there, when I'm in the valley of the shadow of death? How do I hope? How do I grab hold of this? And I want to just say this, uh, and I want to say this because I know that your pastors feel this way. If you're struggling with mental illness, we want the church to be a place where you can share that, right? Don't be ashamed to talk about what you're struggling with. And if you need to, see a doctor. There's no shame in battling mental illness among the people of God. Let's be that kind of people, right? Amen? But once you've dealt with all that stuff and you're still struggling, you've You've taken care of those things, and you're still struggling just with your faith in the normal faith ways and the things that are just going on in your life and your faith. Where do you turn to when you feel alone? Where do you turn to when you're in that dark valley? That's the moment you need to be reminded of this truth. I remember I was in a place of significant difficulty at one point in my life a number of years ago. I would say I was depressed. Uh, the church that I've been a part of for many years and given my life to, we built a building, we sacrificed generously. My wife and I raised our children there. It was in the midst of a crisis. 
And many of the men that I was working with for many years, they wouldn't even talk to me. People were saying things about me that were not true. And I was, I mean, I was like, I felt like I was in a dark, I felt like I was in a, a room with no lights. Have you ever felt that? And there's just, no, no, I can't figure out how to turn the light on. I just felt pain. And I wanted it to stop. You know, I was, I'm so grateful that I had friends who, you know, I, I try to get to the gym regularly, but I, I stopped going to the gym. I wasn't eating well. I, you know, in a matter of weeks, dropped some pounds. I was, not, I was finding it difficult to get in the word. And my friends just said, you've got to be at the, you got to get, make yourself get to the gym. You need to be in the word daily. You need to be crying out to God. My friends gathered around me and they prayed for me. They encouraged me. And after an extended period of time, when someone was speaking the truth to me, reminding me of the Lord's love, his light broke in. And I can't, I can't tell you why. It wasn't like the eloquence of the person. It was a person in my life that I had known for many years, and they just said something, and it was like, God, Jesus is with me. And, and I, I felt this like joy in my soul. The circumstances hadn't changed, but I felt joy again. And I, I can't explain. I'm not, I'm not comparing my suffering to anything you're going through. Someone here might be suffering much more than I was at that time. But I can tell you this. God is with you in your suffering. I want to remind you this morning. No matter what valley you're in, no matter what you're facing, Jesus Christ is with He will never leave you and he will never forsake you. No matter where you run, Psalm 139, where shall you flee from his presence? You can't go anywhere and he's with you. And brothers and sisters, when we face sufferings and challenges, we can be confident in the love of God because we are not alone. He is with us and we are more than conquerors through him. So let's remind each other of those things, okay? But now, come down to the end here. Paul said all things, but does he really mean all things? You know, you feel like in this final verse, he's going he's gonna to actually put the stamp down. He's going to say, I'm not going to let you out. Look what it says here. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says, for I am sure that. The King James Version says, I am persuaded that. NIV and the NAS says, I am convinced. He's telling us something that he's positive about. <laughs> he is sure of this. The symphony's coming to an end here, and he doesn't want to leave any door of uncertainty. You know, when a... When a, when a, um, when a programmer writes a program, he often leaves something called a back door in it so that if something happens, he can get back in. Paul doesn't want us to have a back door on this truth. There's no back door. He wants us to be certain that the love of Christ is secured in the work of Christ forever. So he says here, four pairs of things that communicate totality, nor anything else. He says, not height, nor depth, nor anything else. He says, not Things to come, nor powers, not death, or not death or life. Start there. Not death or life. That's pretty good. Things to come or things present. That about covers it. Things present include the past. So nothing in the past, present, or the future can separate us from the love of God. And then he says this, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The New American Standard says, 
nor any created thing. Now, I want you to get this. and I know I've been talking a long time, and I thank you for staying with me, but I really want you to get this, because this, when I studied this text and I got this, I come back to this in my mind over and over again. And I think it will serve you if you understand what Paul is saying here. He says, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. We'll be able to separate us. Nothing in creation. What is in creation? Well, everything created, right? What's outside of creation? Only God. So not, no created thing, nothing in creation can separate from you the love of God. So think, well, maybe God could do that. But that word that says is able to is the same exact word in Romans 1.16. What does Romans 1.16 tell us? For the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of anyone who believes, first the Jew and then the Greek. It's the power. It's the power. The God who's given us the gospel for the power to save us will never separate us, and nothing else in all creation has the power to separate us from what God has brought us into union with. Nothing. Nothing in creation can separate us. Do you see how it all holds together? God's unrelenting, unremitting, unfailing, and unstoppable love. Do you see that? The work of Christ saves us, and the love of Christ in God holds us. Nothing can separate us. So how do we apply this this morning? Well, if you're struggling this morning, I just want to encourage you, believe what God's word says. And if you are struggling, if you're struggling with any aspect of your faith, or just even something small, just confess it to a brother or sister before you leave. And ask him to pray for you. That's just one small way you could do it. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer, I would invite you to place your faith in Christ Jesus. There's nothing better. This text tells us. I, I don't have to say much more. I invite you to receive what Jesus Christ has done for you. Demonstrating the love of God so that you can know the love of God and be secure in that forever. If you have any questions, the person who brought you here would be happy to talk to you. Hang would be happy to talk to you about that. Brothers and sisters, he's worthy of trust. This text is an invitation for us to love God with all of our hearts, with all of our minds, and with all of our souls. It's a, direct, it's a declaration of the love of God in Christ Jesus, and it has a purpose in our lives, and that purpose is to bring you to glory. It's not just to get you started, and then lose you on the way. The purpose of God's salvation of your life is to bring you to glory so you can join that everlasting throng and be worshiping together forever in the assembly of the, of the blessed, of the saints. You don't need to be afraid you haven't done enough or that he will tire of you. Our God is worthy of trust. He will save us, and he will see us through to the end. The good news is the love of God is authentic. It's real. It's down to earth, so you can be confident that whatever happens in your life, you can trust God and his gospel. So when you're struggling, you can talk quietly to God. He'll hear you. When you're in a place of victory, remember, God is the Lord of your salvation. Our God can be trusted. Our salvation is secured in the work of Christ, and the work of Christ guarantees the love of Christ forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to you for 
your mercy towards us. Lord, we, we didn't deserve to see what we see and what we know and what we celebrate this morning. And yet you did it. How did you open? You opened our eyes to see the glories of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord. We thank you for that. And Lord, even now we, we think on suffering. And we pray, Lord, you give us grace to trust you in the midst of it, Lord. Every one of us will one day have to cross that river, the one that goes to glory. Lord, as we walk through that time with our friends and our family members, give us grace to live and to die like Christians. Lord, help us to trust you in the midst of our suffering in a way that testifies to the glory of Jesus Christ and the finished work of Christ. Lord, we pray that we would be a city set on a hill. Cannot be put down. We want to be salt and light in our world. Help us, Lord God, to trust you in the midst of our suffering and to testify of your great glory and grace. Know your love and walk in it securely for all of our days. In Jesus' name, amen.